the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses had been sharing all that God did over the years to bring the nation of Israel to this point, being ready to enter the Promised Land. God had given them victories, provided for their needs, and established a loving covenantal relationship with Himself. In response to all that God had done, Moses tells the people to love God supremely and worship Him on His terms. The Israelites were to destroy all the idols that the Canaanites worshipped in their land. They were to also worship God at the locations He appointed. The nation was to worship God in obedience and with joy. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12. In addition to that being our mentality, it also, he says here, and you shall rejoice, in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 12, in all that you put your hand unto. In other words, you've worked hard to have supplies, and now you're bringing part of that to the Lord. He says, don't do it with a grumpy face. Don't come and go, Lord, I come to church because that's what we do. I'm a Christian, you know. So here I am, and I'm going to hate this reckless love song. God's not reckless. But just sing it because, you know, I'm a Christian, and that's what I do. (laughs) While these offerings were a sacrifice of their possessions, it's to be done with joy. I've met some who say, I don't like singing. And then others, I don't like listening to the sermon. Or I don't like talking to anybody. I just come, hear the sermon, I'm out of here. So they'll participate grudgingly or they won't participate at all. But it's not about what I like. It's not necessarily something that I do because I feel like it. I I feel joyful today, so I'll I'll sing. I am to be joyful. It's a choice to say, I'm going to rejoice in this sacrifice that I'm bringing to the Lord right now. Turn to Hebrews 13. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. The context here, the idea is that we have gone out to suffer the reproach of Christ. We have given our lives to Christ, and that means sometimes we're persecuted or we go through difficult times because of our faith. He's urging them to do that, to hang in there. Also to do this, not just hang in there. Look at verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. What's the sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And to do good and to communicate means to be generous, to share with others. Don't forget that either. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Our worship is to be born out of a gratitude for all the Lord has done for me. And even if the only thing that I can be grateful for right now is the fact that Jesus saved my soul, that he forgave all my sins, that's enough to be joyful for. That's enough to have joy and to offer up the sacrifice of praise. There are times it will be a great sacrifice to sing to the Lord or listen to a sermon or minister to somebody else or to fellowship, to do it with joy. It may be a great sacrifice because of how you're feeling. But you know what I think? I think that's the part where we offer something that is completely our own to God. 
Just think about it for a moment. You're going to tithe, okay? It's your paycheck, but what is it really? He's the one that gives you the ability to work, right? You know, you're, you're going to come bring your bodily presence here. Well, who's the one who allowed you to bring your bodily presence here? The Lord. He allowed you to be healthy enough or fit enough to do that. When we look at all the things we do, I sing to the Lord. Well, who's the one that gave you your voice? All those things are things that we can do, but like, this is the one thing that I think we can give that's all our own. When we don't feel like it and nothing in us wants to, and we make the choice with joy to say, Lord, you are the joy of my salvation. I come to worship. And we give him everything with a smile. That's the sacrifice of praise. And I think that's the sweetest thing that we can offer to the Lord. I think the most precious things we give to him are when we choose to be joyful, even though we don't feel that way about singing or learning or spending time with others. And you know what I have found? Frequently when I do that, I find my mood changing after I make that choice and I'm obedient to the Lord. Not always, but I frequently find my mood changing when I submit to him. So God, he picks the location, but he also picks the mentality we're to have. We submit to his choices in both. Because this can be difficult, I must be on guard against taking that role of defining worship from God. Look back in Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. I'm going to read a large chunk here, verses 8 through 14. He says, you shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Basically, how things are working out in the desert. But then he explains, he says, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. We'll return to that in a moment. For you are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God gives you. But when you go over Jordan and you dwell, you settle down in the land which the Lord your God gives you to inherit. And when he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there, where the tabernacle will reside. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand, all your choice vows which you have vowed unto the Lord. And you shall rejoice before for the Lord your God, not just you, but your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he has no part nor inheritance with you, we'll get to that in a second, take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord shall choose, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there shall you do all that I command you. So here we see that while they were in the desert, that Israel approached worship with kind of a nonchalant attitude. They did whatever was right in their own eyes, verse 8 says. And Moses says, when you come into the land, that's not going to fly with the Lord. What I find interesting is it's going to be harder to do this when they're in the land, because right now, where are they all living? Right around the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle's in the center of the camp, and they're all camped round about the tabernacle. So even though the tabernacle was right around the corner from your tent, some in Israel made excuses to not bring offerings that God commanded or to do it God's way. Instead, they decided to worship God their own way. And the Lord was not pleased with this. So Moses says, once you settle down in the land, <laughs> you're going to have to be more dedicated to this because the tabernacle won't be right in your backyard. You know, it may be far away from you. So you must commit yourself now to worshiping God correctly. He says, when I pick the place and you settle down, he says, you need to do exactly as I've told you where I've told you. He says there in verse 13, he says, you need to take heed unto yourself that you offer not your burnt offerings in every place that you see. Most of the time, it's a good idea to make decisions based on our perception. For example, if you see an oncoming car, don't walk across the street. Wait till it comes by. But with worship, we're not supposed to do things that way. We're not supposed to look out and go, oh, that looks like a great place to worship. They have a great kids ministry. That's not the way we should approach church or worship. If they weren't supposed to look and go, man, the tabernacle is like a, like a two-day trip. 
this hill looks cool. I think, I mean, shows God's majesty, his glory. How about we just make an altar here and worship God here? The Lord says, no, 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 no. God's constant critique of the kings of Israel is that they did not remove the high places. I didn't understand what that was for years. I always thought, man, well, I know Josiah was a good king, but he didn't remove the high places. I mean, why would he allow pagan temples in this country? That's a bad king. The high places weren't pagan temples. I didn't learn this till much later. The high places were worship centers to Jehovah that were unauthorized. In other words, worship, means of worship that God had not authorized to him. I remember there was a a local false teacher. He's not here anymore, and he was pretty big. And I I was having a conversation with somebody, and they told me, he said, yeah, but he uses Jesus's name. He can't be bad. And I said, you know, just because someone calls it worship to God doesn't mean it's authorized by God. Just because a church does something in the name of Jesus doesn't mean Jesus is cool with it. The idea here is that he's saying, you should only do this the way I define it. He says here, Make sure that you also include the Levite, verse 12, that is within your gates. Moses reminds them that their worship included more than just them and the Lord. There was a third party, those God chose to lead the people in worship. They had a role to play, and so they got a share in consuming the meal. We'll get more into that later on. But the idea was, he says, make sure you don't forget them. It's not just about you and the Lord. There are others involved. Since everything I own technically belongs to the Lord then does that mean I have to travel to the tabernacle anytime I want a steak dinner? I mean, it all belongs to the Lord. I'm supposed to give him a portion of everything I have. You know, so if I just want to have a nice steak dinner, because they didn't eat meat as much as we do, if they want to have a nice steak dinner, do I need to go to the tabernacle and make an offering? The Lord says no, and he gives us some additional principles of worship here. Look at verse 15. He says, notwithstanding, you may kill and eat flesh, meat, in all your gates, whatsoever your soul, the King James says, lusts after. That's way too strong. It says, just whatever you like. You know, if you like a good steak, if you like a good grilled chicken, if you're really into meatloaf, you're good. You can have it right there in your gates according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. As he's blessed you with food to eat, he says, you don't have to bring that to the tabernacle. The unclean and the clean may eat thereof. Now, Remember, that doesn't mean they're able to eat unclean animals. That was forbidden in Leviticus. The idea of the unclean and the clean means if you're rich, whether you're richly clean or you're richly unclean, it means you can eat it in your gates. Like you don't have to, you know, do the ritual washings or make the special offerings if you touched a leper or something like that. You don't have to do that just to eat dinner. You would have to do that if you're going to bring an offering to the Lord. Again, more on that, see Leviticus. But the idea here is that if you're just having dinner, you don't need to do that. He says, as of the roebuck and as of the heart. You want venison? Have venison. You don't need to make it an offering. But, he reminds them, the rest of God's rules for eating food still apply. Verse 16. Only, you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it upon the earth as water. You may not eat within the gates the tithe of your grain, or of your wine, or of your oil, of your firstlings, of your herds, or of the flock, nor any of your vows which you have vowed, nor your freewill offerings, or your heave offerings of your hand. If you have those, you need to eat them before the Lord your God, in the place that the Lord your God shall choose, in the tabernacle. You, and your son, and your daughter, and your manservant, and your maidservant, and the Levite that is within your gates. And, you need to do it with a rejoicing with the right attitude before the Lord your God and all that you put your hands unto. And here we see, I love this because the Lord says, even when you're not worshiping me, you need to be worshiping me. And what he means by that is worship is obedience. Worship isn't just singing songs. Worship isn't just coming to church. Every time you and I obey the Lord, 
we're worshiping him. Every time we do what he says in his word, we're worshiping him. These verses show us that worship is more than just a ritual. It's obedience to God in every aspect of our lives. I mentioned earlier we'd cover the whole Levite thing later. Well, now we've gotten there. This is the second time he's mentioned, don't leave out the Levite, verse 19. Take heed to yourself. He explains what he means by that. He says, take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live upon the earth. Be careful that you don't abandon, that you don't leave the Levite to himself. What does that mean? Well, dictionary.com defines the word here to forsake as to cease to support or to cease to look after someone. And that's what it means here. When you would bring your offering to the tabernacle, you weren't allowed to just do it yourself. No Israelite could perform the ritual for his offering. The Levites and the priests, they facilitated the process so that everything was done correctly, okay? So they could do that to provide for them so they could do that since they wouldn't be able to have other jobs. The Levites shared in eating part of the offering. The idea here is make sure that he gets his portion. Don't eat his tithe. Don't eat his oil. Don't eat the flocks that he's supposed to get so he can take care of his family that you're supposed to bring to the Lord, your tithes. He goes, you're not allowed to eat that in your home. You can't do that. You need to bring that to the Lord and you need to make sure he gets his portion. Do not abandon him. By faith in the cross, we've all become priests unto God, right? Like that's something that we believe in the church called the priesthood of all believers. I'm not a priest. People will confuse that sometimes. You say, so you're a priest. And I'm like, well, yes and no. I'm a priest because all Christians are priests. Revelation chapter one says we are a kingdom of priests. And the priest's job was to go before the people on God's behalf and to go before God on the people's behalf. We all have that responsibility. We're to go tell people about how much the Lord loves them, to tell them the truth of the gospel, and we're to bring their needs before the Lord in prayer and intercede for them. So we all have that role. Reject any, any church leader that tries to place themselves between you and God. Any and every church leader that does that. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. But that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all at church. In our worship, there are still leaders and there still are followers. Turn back to Hebrews 13. We've been quoting Hebrews quite a bit, but let me give you the story of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers who had been severely persecuted and were very discouraged. They didn't think they could go on and they were thinking about leaving Christianity to go back to Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them to tell them there is no salvation in the temple sacrifices anymore. Jesus, the substance, he has fulfilled the promise of the shadow. He is our final sacrifice. So there's no forgiveness there. There's no relationship with God there. It's all in Jesus. The whole book is encouraging them to stick with Jesus, to draw not further away from Jesus, but to go closer to Jesus. Could you imagine pastoring a congregation like that where your whole church wants to leave? Probably pretty hard, right? Not exactly the most encouraging situation. And so in Hebrews 13, at the very end, as he's closing out, he says to them here in 13 verse 7, he says, remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God and whose faith The word is follow, but it means to imitate, considering the end of their conduct. Look at their lives. See how God has blessed their lives. See how they're walking out of marriage the right way, or being a parent the right way, or living in the world the right way. See how they're clinging to the Lord. Look at that and say, that's what I want for my life, and imitate their godly behavior. That implies that there's a leader here, all right? There is this idea in the church that, well, core is doctrine, core is evil doctrine. Well, we're all filled with the Spirit. We're all priests of the Lord. We're all whatever. So we don't need leaders. We don't need pastors. 
that is contradictory to the entire teaching of the New Testament, all right? You don't need me because I'm better or because I'm the only one who can help you. That has nothing to do with it. God calls the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, of which I am case study number one. We go to the end. Look at verse 17, Hebrews 13. He says to them, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. Listen to what they say, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account to God for that. Do it this way so that they may do it with joy, that you're not a headache to them, and not with grief. For that's not just not good for them, but it's not good for you. You know, this whole section on worship here that we already covered about the sacrifice of praise, it starts and ends with a plea to follow your leaders. Now, in the same way you should reject any man that tries to occupy the spot of Christ in your life, shun any teaching that says you don't need a pastor or there shouldn't be a pastor, that we should all just gather and minister as the Lord leads. God hates any teaching that puts someone between you and Kim, but he also commands that things be done decently and in order. And part of that order is church leadership. In Ephesians chapter four, you can read it on your own time. It says that he gave some to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. Now, you may have heard it taught, and I've heard it taught this way too. God gives some the gift of being a pastor. God gives some the gift of being an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. That is not what that text says. It says the pastor or the evangelist or the apostle or the prophet is the gift to that church. I don't claim to be God's gift to Calvary Chapel Orlando. That's not my point. I'm not trying to pump myself up. But if you have leaders that are pouring into your life, realize that God's put them there for a special reason, because he loves you. So no matter how annoying I might be, (laughs) God loves you. And just as you have gifts that you bring to the body of Christ that are necessary, so has God given to our leaders and the leaders of any Bible-believing church those people as gifts as well to bless the body. God has set up two leadership positions in the church. It's not complicated. Elders and deacons. Elders' primary role, the elders just another word for pastor, but the elders' primary role is to care for the spiritual needs of the church. Deacons' primary role is to care for the practical needs of the church, and the church needs both. This whole facility would not be in very good shape if you wanted me to take care of it. On the other hand, some people might not do a very good job in teaching the Bible. That's okay. They don't have to. But those leaders, the Lord says, hey, follow them as they're following Jesus and support them so they can do their job with joy. Encourage them. Don't be a headache to them. Just be faithful. The next principle we see in Deuteronomy 7, verse 20. It's actually a large section because it's quite repetitive. It says, When the Lord your God shall enlarge your border as he has promised you, and you shall say, Well, I, I will eat flesh, you know, because your soul longs to eat flesh. I want a steak. Well, you can eat that flesh, whatever your soul, again, lusts after, what, what you're craving that night. Well, if the place which the Lord your God has chosen to put his name there, it be too far from you, Well, then you shall kill of the herd and of your flock, which the Lord God has given you, as I've commanded you. And you can eat in your gates whatever you desire. Even as the roebuck and the heart is eaten, so shall you eat them. The unclean and the clean shall eat of them alike. If you're richly unclean, you can still eat. Again, only be sure that you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life. And you may not eat the life with the flesh. Again, we covered all these laws in Leviticus. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it upon the earth just like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, when you shall do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. With this exception, the holy things, only the holy things which you have, things that have been dedicated to God, and your vows. If you made a promise to say, I'm going to give this cow to the Lord, he says, well, then you shall take it 
And I don't care how far it is, Moses is saying, you shall go into the place which the Lord shall choose. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, upon the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the flesh, eat your portion, but there. The idea here is that even though worship is to be a sacrifice, God doesn't intend it to be a burden. God wants us to be careful to obey, but he doesn't want us stressed out whether every meal should be brought to him as an offering. Listen, if you want to thank God for every Chick-fil-A nugget before you eat, that's cool with me. If you, before you eat it, you've got to thank the Lord for it, you go for it. But don't walk around condemned or fearful that if you don't, God is going to see your lazy, self-willed, selfish heart and zap you. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want worship being a burden. I mean, I understand. There may be days you come to church like, man, I am dragging. I'm tired. That's life. But church shouldn't be a burden. If church is a burden, I'm doing something wrong. Our team is doing something wrong, and we need to repent. Church should be a blessing. When you come, you should be blessed. You should be energized. You should be hearing from the Lord. You know what's interesting? little tidbit here. You don't even have to pray before you eat. Did you know that? You don't. Jesus frequently prayed after he ate. The key is... Just make sure you take some time to give thanks to the Lord for taking care of you. That's the heart of a worshiper, and that's what God's after. The key here, he says, is the exception comes when you've committed something to me. And when you've committed something to me, I don't care how far it is, you got to come. So otherwise, he didn't want it to be a burden for them. And if Israel follows all these rules, they'll be in good shape. Verse 28, observe and hear all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do that which is right, good and right, in the sight of the Lord your God. If you listen to this, you take heed to it, and you do everything I've said in this chapter, then things will go well with you, and God will bless you. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to bless us. Why is it so important that Israel worships by these principles? Because while they seem strict, the very nature of worship is that it's not to be exploratory. Look at verses 29 through 32. He says, listen, when the Lord your God shall cut off the nations that are in front of you, that are facing you right now, whether you go to possess them and you succeed them, you've settled down in their land, take heed to yourself that you don't become entangled in a trap. You don't become snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before you. And you begin to inquire. The word there means to learn information that you didn't previously know. You get curious about after their God saying, well, how did these nations worship their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Maybe we'll, that'll help us out worshiping our God. The Lord says, you shall not do so unto the Lord your God. For every abomination unto the Lord, things that are repulsive and detestable to God. He says, every one of those things, things which he hates, have they done unto their gods. And then he gives an example where he says, even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. They would say, their gods, we want to show you how dedicated we are to you, God. You know, Molech or Baal or whatever. And they would bring their children and they would sacrifice them to their gods. The Lord says, they would show their devotion that way. I would dare say that what you worship or what people worship today, really the problem isn't whether or not they're devoted to it. The question is, are they worshiping God the way he wants to be worshiped? Are they worshiping the right God? The Lord was displeased with those things. And so he says, I didn't teach you to worship the way the pagans do it because it leads to wicked behavior. So you don't have to educate yourself on that stuff. There is a lure of evil that isn't healthy even to those who have innocent motives. So we can never mix these things with our worship. In fact, he says in verse 32, what things soever I command you, that's what you observe to do. And you won't add to it, nor diminish, take away from it. In other words, 
worship and the commands for how we worship are God's prerogative. I don't have permission to take a part of them away to make it easier to do or to add something to spice it up. Ultimately, worship is obedience to the Lord and obedience stems from a heart that wants to please the Lord. And so I ask you tonight, is that your heart? Is that your heart? If it is, then you're a worshiper. If it's not, then I invite you to become a worshiper. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your teaching on, to us about how to worship. And that's, that's what Jesus told the woman at the well. You know, she said, well, I think we're supposed to worship here, but you guys say there. And Lord, you cleared it all up. You said, well, no, you're wrong. And yet, that's not even what God's after is the locale. God wants those who worship him to worship him in spirit and in truth with their hearts and in the way that God sets out in truth by his standards. And Lord, we want to be true worshipers. So Lord, we don't ever want to mingle the ways of the world, the ideas of the world with our worship. We want you to birth things in our songs, in our studies, in our fellowship, in our celebrations, and in all that we do here at Calvary Chapel Orlando. Lord, would you birth things here? Would you help us to stay on track with those who have gone before us and continue to do those things? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to have a lifestyle of worship. When we consider all that God has done for us and who he is, his nature, his loving kindness, and gentleness towards us, gratitude and reverence will follow. Even when life gets tough, God is worthy of our worship, and we ought to offer a sacrifice of praise. The best way to worship God is by simply obeying His Word and trusting what He says. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.